0: All right, welcome back, North Florida Wrestling fans. We have a very special new segment for you today. We're going to go in and explore the mind of that third person on the mat with the wrestlers. You can love them or you can hate them, depending on how the match falls, but we're going to send it over to John Cohn and the officials call.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jordan. This is a new segment that I thought would be pertinent to our listeners out there. And, and like you said, there's always three or four, or sometimes four individuals on the mat, you know, the two competitors, and then, of course, the official. And um, I wanted to start this just so the listeners out there that are either athletes or coaches kind of get a different perspective on the other person on the mat. And uh, when I had the idea of doing this, um, the the first person that I decided I wanted to have on was my, my personal professional mentor, uh, who I started under... 20-something years ago, Glenn Faust, and we're fortunate enough to actually have him on. He agreed to to come on and and talk with us. Without further ado, we'll introduce Mr. Glenn Faust. How are you doing today, Glenn?
2: I'm doing just fine. Glad to see you guys.
1: Glenn, we don't want to waste too much of your time, so we're going to go ahead and get right into it. Um, I've always known you as and official. And as I stated, you know, you're my mentor and, and all of, you know, I accredit much of my progress as an official, uh, to you. And I've, I've stated that to you in person many times, but for those of us who don't know, what was your first exposure to the sport of wrestling?
2: Uh, probably when, uh, we were stationed in Germany and, um, my brother used to talk about wrestling a little bit. They had a little uh, wrestling over there. Although he was, uh, wasn't was able to compete, he kind of wanted to. And uh, then once we got back in the States, my me personally was uh, actually we were at Everett and Rutherford came down, the high school came down and they actually wrestled a match there in front of the student body. So, and, then after that, I was more involved with football and that kind of thing. But then it, when I got up to Rutherford, um, uh, one of the football coaches was the wrestling coach, Tommy Clemens, and he came and talked to me about getting into wrestling. So I ended up wrestling, uh, there with him up there at Rutherford at that time. So, and, um, yeah, it was an interesting process because um, you have misconceptions in your mind about wrestling, and I learned right in, right away that there are right way to do things and the wrong way to do things, and this is a very, very technique sport, and yeah, I, it was a rude awakening at the very beginning.
1: So are you speaking now as a competitor? So you, you wrestled for Rutherford?
2: Yeah. I wrestled my senior year and, you know, we'd fool around prior to that, but I never really, you know, joined the team. Um, And then like I say, coach Clemens, he had talked to me about coming out and I finally just went ahead and did it and uh, had a lot of fun with it. And so I started doing that as a competitor and then, um later on when I graduated from Florida and I started teaching. Um I worked one year at Moet. I applied for the wrestling job over there. I didn't give it, they actually gave it to um uh Don Clemo. And then uh when I got to Rutherford, um I went over there when Rick Jones transferred as the head coach. I went over there with him and he said, Congratulations, you're the wrestling coach. So just like that, just because I had a wrestling background um, there you go. And, um, uh, and I, I worked and coached over there for four years and re- really enjoyed it, enjoyed the kids' competition. It's a lot of fun.
1: So, did you, um, did you, did you coach anywhere else besides Rutherford?
2: Yeah. Eventually I left Rutherford after about four years. I bought a house out here on the beach and, um, they had were just building a middle school just a uh, few blocks from me and um actually Tommy Clemens, he was going to be the new AD at the middle school he called me up out of the blue said uh, listen why don't you come coach football with me you can be the head wrestling coach uh you know I realize it's not high school but you know it's just a few blocks from your house as opposed to driving an hour every day to Rutherford and back and forth again. And so that's what I did. And then that's what I started coaching at the middle school level. And I actually, as far as the coaching part of it, working with kids, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, some of my best memories are not, you know, of, of that, we're at that level and uh just being able to see a kid that has no idea what he's doing to get to a point where he sees something and you teach coach it and you coach it and all of a sudden then he does it in the match and the light bulb goes on on the guy's head and you, and you realize it when it happens real time on the mat and it's it's just really 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 exciting as a coach to see that I'd like to yeah, mention I that
1: mean, you that brought just...
0: a county championship to surfside yeah that was <laughs>
2: That was really
1: good. Yeah. yeah so um, again, you know, my first exposure to you um, was, I, I think, at the time you you pretty much ran the entire show. I don't, I know there were some other members, um, you know, in the association when I when I joined, uh, Dick Beddicks and and Bob Hunt and some others. And um, I don't recall what your official capacity is, but let's back up a little bit. So how did you transition from the coaching side of things to the officiating side of things?
2: Well, actually I was doing both when I became the, um, head wrestling coach there at Surfside, um, Tommy Clemens, he was one of the officials and, um, there was a little misconception about an association, which there actually was none, but, um, so he asked me to officiate, and so I started officiating. And um, and he called one more year, or that year was my first year. That was his last year. And then he no longer officiated anymore. And, you know, we basically started what we call the Northwest Florida Wrestling Officials Association. And um, although we had called ourselves that, technically we weren't, uh, we found that out the hard way, but, um, the, um, uh, FHSA, Hey, eventually contacted us, you know, because officials had to start belonging to an, an association before then. I mean, you could be a homer. Uh, if you went to a certain county or a certain school, they would have a particular official and, uh, then, uh, the FHSA stepped in finally and said, you must belong to an association. And then they established some guidelines as far as what schools you could or could not, or how many you could officiate at a particular school. And that really helped a whole lot as far as doing away with, you know, some of the bias that was involved really helped a lot.
1: So, um, Again, I did, I did not know that. Um, so, you you basically were part of the creation of the association. Have been involved ever since. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, I, I pretty much started out, and then uh, Mackie Tindall, who unfortunately passed away of cancer a few years back, he had moved in the area, and um, I had known Mackie before. He had actually officiated before with with Tommy and. So at that time, when we got it going there and first got it going, it was, you know, pretty much me and him. And uh, there were very few officials uh, here in Panama City. So our whole association was really just Panama City. And then when they required everybody to join an association, well, there weren't enough officials in Fort Walton Beach to have an association. So they joined us. And Uh, Dick Beddix, who was in Pensacola, there were not enough officials over there, so he joined us. And so at that time, we literally uh, officiated every match from Panama City to Pensacola. And then a few years later, we picked up Tallahassee because their numbers dwindled so small that we couldn't, you know, they they had to uh, join with us.
0: Well, so we'll definitely get back to the, the numbers on officials and how to bump them them up and the problems you're having with those. But so I was, I was always curious, um, you know, going up through Surfside and having you as probably the best seventh grade science teacher I've ever had, you know, there's a, there's a <laughs> long list. But, you know, I always, I would always see the, um, you know, the county championship banner up in the gym. And, you know, we always, everybody knew that you were the the coach of that and then going up through, very lucky to have Coach Wes Landon as my coach. You know, I've always right. very grateful for that. But I was always curious as to why, um, you know, you stepped away from the coaching and went into full time officiating. Um, you know, we were always trying to I remember I at least I think we were always trying to like talk you to come back on the mat and show us a couple things. And you never you never took the Bob Hunt approach and come and show me a bunch of illegal things on the side that the refs can't see, but you know, why, so why did you tell uh, you step away from the coaching and just decide to be a uh, official? Was it just, you know, workload or. Well, it
2: had to do with a little bit of, um, at the time, you know, um, uh, we had an excellent principal in Joel Creel. There were some things that went on, you know, administratively, that actually had nothing to do with wrestling. And, uh, there were some, Things that ended up being an argument, and you know, kind of okay. The administration says this, and then next thing you know, it it just got to a point where it was not good, and so I just stepped away from it. And then uh, when Les, excuse me, when West stepped in, he you know he did a good job, and I would talk to him every now and again, we would talk this or that, the other thing. But as far as me stepping in there, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it just wasn't a comfort thing or whatever, but once I got away from it and I was more involved in the officiating thing and that like I say it grew because when I first got to Surfside, it was just, you know, a few guys officiating in Panama city. But by this time, we, re- we had everything from Tallahassee to Pensacola. And so running that, you know, as the booking commissioner and, and, and president, really, at, at that time, I mean, that was a, that was a full plate. I mean, uh, I didn't have time to be our, all our beginning officials. They had to call JV or, or middle school matches to, earn, you know, to get reached the point of their training. And in Panama City, it was awesome but at that time because all the middle schools they would wrestle, you know, 10 matches. They had a preseason and a postseason tournament. And they got tremendous amount of real time matches. And I mean, we had some parents that were Lulus. I mean, so these guys got a lot of experience. There were big rivalries. I mean, especially at the county tournament. So they got a lot of experiences about being under pressure and things like that and, and learning. So at that point, my job was go to this school, that school, and evaluate the official, spend time with the official. like say This is what you did, right. This is what you did wrong. we got to stop doing this completely. Um, you know, and those types of things. And, and I mean, like your dad, uh <laughs> I mean, the first time I videotaped him I'm, and I must have had like four or five, you know, three, four or five pages of notes on him about things that he needed to improve on. So really didn't have the time to spend with in the wrestling room with the other guys. I so really just, you know, you just didn't have time.
1: Did you miss the coaching?
2: Yeah, a lot of times, you know, you'd miss it, especially when you're you're Calling matches or watching matches being called, and you, you know, you see an athlete doing something that you know they shouldn't be doing, or if they did this a little bit different, they could do it a whole lot better. Yeah. Um, stuff like that,
0: yeah. I miss them. Yeah, I that. My dad would try to pull me into ref all the time. He's like, you should be an official, you should be an official. I'm like, I would zone out. I would either like, especially if it was a good match, I would find myself zoning out and I'd be like, man, that was a good takedown. I'm like, oh wait, I got to I got to give two for that takedown real quick. So, right. it's believe definitely
2: not, fun. You believe it or not, you have those moments. I mean, you'll be out there watching a match and you I mean, let's face facts. I've, I mean, I've called, you know, state tournaments and stuff like that, and you get some really really good athletes out there. I mean, really good athletes. And you'll see a kid do something and they'll totally amaze you. And I mean, it, and you don't, you got that deadpan look on your face. Like if you, I mean, if you got smarts, but you'll sit there and go and internally, you go, wow, that was really good. You know, you you are impressed because you're, you're, I mean, you're you are a wrestling guy. So you, you got an idea of what's going on out there. And so when you see something and it really goes well, yeah, you could be very impressive. And uh, so, yeah, and like you were saying, your dad trying to get you into into officiating, yeah, that's what you want to do. I mean, wrestling's not like a lot of other sports. It's a sport, even in the book, it says, you know, the rule book talks about, you know, feeling control. And that's something that you only get by experience,
1: Yeah, I can I can personally attest to, you know, what you're saying about, you know, you having a lot on your plate, um, you know, not really being able to find the time to coach because I remember firsthand, you know, when I first met you and I think 98, I met you and I started officiating that Mm -hmm. then and, and, and all the way to the present day, you know, you you put your everything into developing the officials that come under you and, you know, to the point where you're, you're traveling on your off days and you're filming and you're, you're making notes and, and, you know, of course I've called, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of matches and tournaments with you and you always have your legal pad out and you're, you're making notes about, you know, things that official can do better while also giving that positive feedback. So, you know, I can certainly attest to what you're saying. I can't speak to, how officials are developed, um, around the rest of the state, but I can, I can personally attest to, to that time and dedication that you've put in. And how do you feel, you know, from then to our present day, how, how do you feel the, the progress and the quality of officiating has changed during that time? You know, how would you, how would you assess that?
2: Oh, it's a ton better. And, I realized that if you talk to some coaches, especially, you know, coach that's in his twenties and just getting going and that kind of thing, or maybe even in their thirties, you know, they don't remember and I do cause I've been doing this 30 some odd years and I can remember when we, when I was first coaching. And I mean, if you went to Mariana, there was one official that you always going to get and if you went to certain other places, there were certain guys. And when you would, initially, when I first started calling, you'd go to a regional tournament and the coaches from different areas, they would just be ballistic, you know, because, well, that's not how they call it here. And whether that here was Jacksonville or Tallahassee or Orlando, whatever, you know, it was always so much different. So then the state came in and they started establishing field clinics which to me, in some ways, they still should do. But I'm going to tell you, compared to what it was then, the consistency, uh, you know, and again, I realize these people, you know, coaches today, you know, they may say, oh, man, officials, this." let me tell you something. It's a thousand times better than what it was.
1: Yeah, I can attest to some of those uh, field clinics that we went to over the years, and uh, I was kind of disappointed that, the FHSAA stopped doing that. Um, I guess they had their reasons why I don't know what they are, but I liked being able to, you know, get in that room with a a bunch of other officials, whether they be veteran or beginners, and then, and then, you know, talk about some of those gray areas when it comes to rules, interpretations, and then hammer down, you know, how this is going to be called and how that's going to be called. So, you know, we're all consistent statewide and of course there's going to be differences here and there. You're always going to, you're always going to have that kind of um, thought that, well, they call it different in the panhandle than they do in Miami or Orlando or Jacksonville, whatever. But I just, just in the 23 years that I've been doing this, you know, I've seen the consistency of officials, mechanics, signals, positioning, all those things progress. And I think, you know, I think, That, um, you know, the product that we put out today, um, certainly speaking to the veteran officials, you know, we have a good field statewide. And um, I think that it's it's a lot of it's to do with with uh, veterans like you that are very conscientious about the sport and passionate about, you know, developing um, the officials that come under you. So, um, I wanna to transition to something that um most coaches and athletes should know, but as you and I both know, uh there are a lot of coaches out there that do not stay abreast of rules changes, points of emphasis, right. and we end up we end up having to teach them real time in season, so, um, I know you and I've already had meetings this year concerning these rule changes. We've had a couple of coaches you know there to to listen. If you would, um, I know there weren't many rule changes this year, but can you speak to a few that that we have this year?
2: Well, the uh, one of them, of course, is the you know we're we're getting uh, we have female wrestling, and which is a good thing because I feel like it's going to grow the sport. It's already grown the sport, you know. Uh, female wrestling is just taking off, and I think it's going to get bigger and bigger. However, I mean. <laughs> There are a few things as far as, um, I mean, if you have a female wrestler, then the sports bra requirement is now there. Okay, so they're required to wear, wear a sports bra. Um, I think they could have done what a little bit better as far as the compression shirt, and they still can, but it's optional. But as far as the sports bra for the girls, I think that's a good rule. Um, I think the, uh, shoelaces coming untied now is automatically just a stall call or shoe coming off as a stall call is no longer a technical violation, you know, and injury time and so on. Well, I disagreed with the call. There was nothing wrong with the rule. I don't know why they changed that. They said it was too punitive, but I thought, okay, you get this thing, right. And then you turn around and you go backwards on it and I think it kind of hurts the sport. so that's that's the other. but you know those two are the ones that really stick in my brain the most is as, as far as that's concerned. I'm trying to think of another was two other main items.
0: what's uh, I, we were on uh, last week I think I forget who mentioned it maybe Clay Allen or Crowder uh, what is the beard what's the what was the, is, have they gotten rid of the beard?
2: Yeah, the facial hair. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, facial hair. That was the big thing. And, I, you know, I don't care. So, um, you know, as far as that, you I mean, if you're going to let the kid wrestle with whatever hair can, you know, whatever length of hair, then the beard thing doesn't really come into play. Now, of course, it's supposed to be where you can see through it to do a skin check, which is going to pose... Whatever issue, because then you then the athlete has to actually go. You know, now you got a kid, you ding him for that. You weigh him in, and now he's got to go trim his beard so you can do a skin check. You, you, you know, so you write kind of right back where you started as far as that. So, like, you know, I'm looking at you now on the screen. I can see your particular beard. Okay, at, at what point, you know? And I got a feeling before long, it's just going to be. They have a beard. Let's wrestle. We don't care, because um, uh, sitting there trying to eyeball this stuff is going to pose problems. I think I, you know. In, in the end, if you just t- take the kid and you say, "Okay, go go sh- go trim your beard or put on a face mask," you know, if they don't want to trim it, I think for the most part, I mean, most kids in high school they can try to grow a beard. Let's face facts, it kind of looks like your dad's beard where it's not a whole lot there, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so, yeah, you can yeah, see right Glenn, through that, baby. I was, uh,
1: was going to comment about the, um, and then there are a lot of these rules that they they implement changes on, as, as we've seen, you know, over the years. Some of those are a one and done, you know, and some they keep and they mm-hmm. tweak a little bit. And you and I had a, a conversation last week about the, the shoe coming off and the, um, the yeah. shoe coming off being a technical violation and then, and then starting the injury time. And I, I guess I understand in part about, you know, wanting, wanting the athletes to have those injury times, because of course we know they're very valuable if you actually get injured. But what, and the question I posed to you or the, what we talked about was, okay, if the rationale behind changing it to just a stall call and not the tech and injury time, is there why why would you still if a wrestler comes to the table not prepared to wrestle again he brain farts he leaves his headgear on the bench or he has his shorts on or whatever that's still a technical violation and you're starting injury time so i feel like i understand the rationale but i feel like that that whole that whole overall uh penalty field when it comes to technical violations and Injury time is is going to have to be looked at again. I think it's going to I think it's going to come up several times this year, and I think, you know, the powers that be are going to have to look at it and maybe go back to the table and tweak it again. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think so too because there's a question about, let's say you have an, an athlete that, you know, a shoe comes untied or whatever else. Well, now it's a stall call and you don't stop the match. Even if it's up to the two-point, you know, uh, now, if it's offensive wrestler, yeah, you, know, you would if you're down on the mat. But the problem is, is now you can have this type of thing take place and wrestling still continues. So the kid may the, – the, the athlete that has his shoe untied still may be able to go and score uh, because of a t- – you know, it's imminent. Well, you know, you got scoring imminent or whatever. But to me, it should be – if you just change it to a technical violation – then now he can't, he cannot benefit the, 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 the athlete that has a shoe come untied can't benefit from, it's automatically goes to technical violation. whatever the situation is, it, goes, it you know, okay, save the timeout. Okay. Let's do away with the timeout, but it should all be, you know, go into the, you go into a technical violation. So he cannot benefit, you know, it's his fault for not being ready to wrestle. I mean, not having his shoe properly secured, you know, having his shoelaces come undone. I mean, since we've been in this sport for whatever the last 20 years or so, this has been something that they've always had to do because kids in the old days, they would, you know, get to the edge of the mat, pull the shoestring, go back on the center just to get themselves a blow so they could sit there and tie their shoe. And That's when they really started cracking down on this. And there's, you know, I just don't think that that's really, I think that's a part they kind of overlook when they put this rule together. I don't think they thought that through very well.
0: Well, so how does it go? Does it like, so if, you know, I'm wrestling and my shoe comes untied and it's, you know, the match is still live, do you just throw up the stall the stall call and then let everybody else figure it out? You know, because I know if I'm on the side as like a coach and I can't see it and like, I mean, I'm sure it'd be dealt with that. But I, how often is a shoe coming untied anyway? I don't ever really remember this problem. Like, yeah. Is it that?
2: No, it's not. It's not prevalent. But I, I think what's happening here is um, we have had instances where the shoe come off and what it is is some of these athletes so what they'll do is they're lazy if you will they'll take their shoe they'll tie it loose enough that they can just slide it on like a sock and they go wrestle and then as you're wrestling them you know you're trying to secure whatever takedown or whatever else and the shoe comes off in your hand or something like that and i think that was one of the reasons that eventually they made that where it was a technical violation, injury time and so on. And because having your shoe properly secured and, but yeah, in the old days, I mean, people would intentionally untie their shoe just so they could get a blow now. And then they, it started where they got pretty strict on it. I really, the issue you have now is where the shoe comes untied. It doesn't happen often, but believe it or not, it happens. And more times than not, it happens with, you know, kids that are not very experienced and our coach is not willing to pay attention to what their athletes are doing. And the, the problem you have with it now, with the rule the way it's written now, is that this kid can have a shoe come untied and let's say they're in a takedown situation, they can go ahead and secure the takedown. They are called for stalling, but they can still go on and secure whatever, you know, get whatever points, even though they, you know, to me it should be a violation. You went all the way from a technical violation and and charge time out and injury time all the way back down to a stall call. And I think it, I mean, I think they should have left it probably in the middle with a technical violation. That way the athlete, if you call that technical violation, he can't score from there. He can't score that takedown. And uh, you have to stop the match at that point, if that makes sense.
0: I mean, I get it, but I would, I I can tell you as like a wrestler, I would be super, I'm okay with the stall call a little bit. I mean, it does affect the, the, you know, the course of the match or the way that it's going to go. But I know I would be, I've never had to deal with it because I always just take my laces and just be done with it. But I mean, I would be furious if I'm in a match and then like, you know, my, my, my shoe comes off just because of whatever, and I get mm-hmm. hit with a point, so I mean, I, I get where they're going with bringing it down and making it le- like less severe, but it still in fact, you know, impacts the match because then that's you you have that stall call that's riding you for the rest of the match. So you know, if it gets close, you know, it's it's not as devastating as taking away that you know hitting them with that point, but it still does a little bit. But it, it just seems like a, a strange, strange rule for uh for them to spend so much time on when there's other things that they could be oh, yeah. uh, working with.
2: Well, and then, but, and this, like I say, the only thing I see is if you're an offending contestant, then you still have the ability to, even though you, you're not, your shoes coming off untied and whatever else, you still have the ability to continue to score. And in any other penalty situation, you're stopping the match, you know, for the most part, um, uh, if that makes any sense. In other words, the athlete is doing defending can't, you know, cannot benefit from it. Now the other athlete, let's say he's standing up and he has a possibility of scoring. Can he continue if like if the other athlete locks hands and can he has a possibility of scoring? Can he go ahead and score? The answer is yes. But can that, like, if you return him back to the mat and you locked hands can, and you put him straight to his back, well, can you score near fall or fall? Absolutely not. Cause There's already a penalty there, and it's a slow call, and uh, as an official, and uh, and
0: well, what if, what if I'm a, what if I'm on top and a guy goes hit hit a stand up, I drop down to an ankle, and then he like you know whip cracks out and his shoe comes off, and the only reason he gets away and gets an escape is because of that. Like, what kind of situation is that?
2: Same deal, same deal. You have an, an athlete right there. The only thing that's happening right there is. The, the athlete on bottom, he, he gets his escape. He get, does get hit for stalling. But in this case here, he shouldn't be allowed in, in my mind. And this is, this is me talking personally and not na- national federation. He, you know, that should be a match stoppage at that point. He should not benefit from that. It should be, you know, if that makes sense, it would be an automatic stop the match for that particular instance.
1: It's funny you bring up that situation, Jordan, because I from what I heard that the Super 32 this year, there was a match that ended just like the situation that you gave where I think it was ultimate. I don't remember where they were at. I think they were an overtime series, but um, same situation. Uh, bottom guy stands up, top guy drops to the leg or drops to the ankle and then the shoe comes off. And, and basically it's a stall call, not a tech, So no point was awarded but the bottom guy was able to finish that move because a score was imminent. And then he wins the match really by virtue of a, of a, a, a penalty. So I was, you know, I, I think it's a good question, Jordan and Glenn, that kind of leads me into my next question. And, you know, I have a few personal thoughts on this um, is, you know, what, what rules would you like to see kind of, worked on, tweaked, changed. I tell you one thing that you and I talked about a couple years ago is the, the stalling situation when you have um, a top bottom situation on the mat and the bottom guy is trying to get out and the top guy is locked on is locked on the ankle and you know after we you know we, we kind of give the benefit of the time to the bottom guy and not hit that immediately, but after so long, you have to stop that match because they're still top bottom and the bot and the top man is stalling. And you and I've talked about this. I personally feel that should be a live, a live stall call because you're basically bailing out the offensive guy there. Um, so again, that's just one thing you and I've talked about that. So what are some things that you, you, you've seen over the years and and, um, that you would like to see perhaps tweaked or changed?
2: Yeah. Um, one of these was actually proposed and I don't think it it went through, but I would like to see the college rule as far as the hand touching the mat. um, If, if you get behind the opponent and in a neutral from a neutral situation and you bring that athlete down and he just taps the mat. Well, now, you know, it's, it comes down to a decision about, okay, was it beyond reaction time or most of his weight supporting that kind of thing? Well, to me, he touches the mat with his hand, hand or one hand, both. Then it should be two, just like like college. If that hand sweeps the mat, it's two, and it takes all of that. As far as us officials, it takes us out of the ball game. You know, all we have to worry about is whether or not the mat, the hand touched or not. We don't have to worry about was it beyond reaction time or not, or the majority of the way supporting or not, and. You know, so it. I think that would be good. Um, the situation like you were talking about where, you know, you got a stall call and the defensive wrestler still got a knee down on the mat when it says his feet, you know, if he's on, on his feet, then you don't stop the match. Well, if he's got knees on the mat. If you, in your mind, I feel like that, if he had – if you're in your mind you think that the bottom wrestler has a possibility of scoring, even though he may have his knees on the mat, I would like to see that where you reward that. I mean, it's a, it's a slow call there. You, I mean, you – in other words, you don't stop the match. You can go ahead and allow that athlete to go ahead and score, um, uh, even though you can still also bang the guy for stalling on top. But uh, it gives – Cause in some situations you're looking at it and you're, you know, good wrestlers. I mean, you know, and, uh, you're thinking, okay, I know if I call this stalling, then I have to stop the match. But at the same time, you're still thinking in the back of your mind that this athlete has the ability to score. And it's like, okay, how long are you going to sit here to make that determination? And I, I think it, it kind of hampers us in there. And not to say it happens a lot, but it does happen from time to time. And actually, it happens with good wrestling. I mean, you, you know, you got good wrestlers, they know when they're, st- you know, when, when to stall, when not to stall, and it's that kind of thing from top. And uh, as far as college wrestling, I would like to see them do away with the writing time. I think uh, writing time is, is the. Uh, one of the worst things that they have at that level, I think it creates a situation. I do know that that coaches now basically write the rule book as opposed to before. And I think that they've done a lot to improve it because I think they realized that they were killing the sport by allowing things to stay as they were. But I would like to see writing time completely done away with. I think that's, I think that's just uh, – I think it just – Nobody wants, it's boring wrestling. I mean, it's just one guy riding on the other. I mean, I can understand like an ultimate tiebreaker, but other than that, I think I, that needs to go away.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can, I get the, the, the writing time rule with college. I, my, honestly, the, when I went from high school to college, my mindset on that completely changed. Um, not for the same reason, because I was extremely excited to get into where like, Oh, you get, I'm like, you mean I get an extra point for just be, you know, cause I was always very tough on top. I'm like, I'm just going to get an extra point every single match. And I found out that that was not the case, that it is extremely hard to hold those higher level athletes, you know, once they make that, that jump. So once I got in there and I experienced it, I definitely did understand why they, um, give extra points for riding, being able to ride somebody out, um, you know, especially at that elite level, but I do get what you're saying that it kind of incentivizes just controlling them on top and yeah. doesn't really incentivize going for the win. Um, very, very much akin to uh, the international styles of once you get on top or, you know, once the takedown comes, it's just trying to, you know, maintain the position. But, you know, as I, I get It's because it's just so much more difficult to score and it's so much more difficult to like get away. Some of these high level guys make it look easy, but, but, and I can get it. I get that. One, I do wish they would change. I'm curious on your um your opinion mm-hmm. on. I would love to see the push-out rule get implemented in amateur wrestling on the, the boundary. Instead of seeing all these people play the boundary and try to squirt out of the bounds whenever a takedown is imminent or they start getting tired. I'd love to see it where if you start getting close to the edge. You know, you're in the danger zone. And if you have that footstep out, that's a point. You know, I'd love to, I think that would create a lot more action in um, in amateur wrestling. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think you can have some of that. Um, um, I would say that gonna, you're going to open up some, uh, a lot of controversy there as far as who's pushing and who is, and that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I still, I, I don't have a problem with that. I think the, one of the things that, you know, we were talking about earlier. You know rule changes for high school. I think they, um, I think they should adopt the inbounds, out of bounds for what's in college now. You know, you got a foot in there, you got a cylinder, whatever, and as long as facilities permit. I mean, we get that all the time, but uh, especially in high school. You know, college you, know, you got these huge gyms and these huge mats and so on, and that's fine. But for us, man, if they had the, the college rule, it's stop. I think a lot of this, I mean, there's still going to be people on the edge no matter what. I mean, good wrestlers, that's where they wrestle. I mean, that's just all there is to it. And yeah, it would, I think the push-out rule as far as what you're saying or the first person out or that kind of thing, I think that would put a lot of more pressure on those guys to stay in bounds. And I will say this, a few years back, they did get on the officials. Basically, they said, look, they back up and they back out of bounds, you are required to call stalling. I mean, you know, and if the guy pushes you, pushes them out of bound, you're required to call it stall, excuse me, to call stalling. And what you have is, unfortunately, is you have officials that do call that effectively. Okay, your father is one, actually. And then uh, you have uh, some guys, and as long as I've been an officiating, you know, you have some guys that just won't, call stalling because they feel like they're influencing the match and what they don't realize is an athlete will stall all day long i mean when i wrestle if he didn't call it i was gonna sit there and take my sweet time you know if i got a if i got a win going i got points on my side i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna do whatever risk unless the team had to have it so the uh and that's the whole thing. I think with, with this, you know, yeah, I think that would be a good rule is put the pressure on those guys.
0: Well, I mean, going back to what you're saying though, it really, you know, one thing that i always did like about my dad as an official and a lot of the officials that, you know, had similar type of idiosyncrasies is he was, you know, a talker, you know, big reason why we got the show going is we're talkers, but he was very much communicate with the wrestlers on the mat and be like, Hey. You're stalling red, or you're stalling green, or hey, I need action, gentlemen. Or even if it starts to get and drift over toward that the boundary, like you know, back center, gentlemen. And more often mm-hmm. than not, they'll take the cue and continue action. So, I mean, and I get what they, I get what those probably more inexperienced refs are thinking that they don't want to influence the match, but just like you're saying, you're influencing the match by not doing what you're supposed to doing and and facilitating the action.
2: Well, and that's that's the name of the game because. When it comes to wrestling, that's that's why it's all about is action. And uh, but yeah yeah, you wanna communicate, but as an official, there are only a handful of things you should be saying, you know, action, center, uh, legal, things like that. I mean you, you really don't wanna be communicating, especially red or green, because uh, it implies coaching then. But uh, but as a rule, yeah, you wanna you wanna be saying what you gotta say and the good wrestlers, okay, they'll figure that out. I mean, you know, they'll figure it out. If you start repeating something and you say action, action, and the next thing you know there's no action, and boom, you hit stalling red, then, you know, hopefully the coach and the athlete smart smart enough to know that next time you start saying those words, stalling's coming if they don't get moving.
1: Yeah, Glenn, I want to circle back around and I just want to provide my personal rationale on, you know, that on the mat stall call as opposed to um, when it's on the feet. I don't remember. It was probably four or five maybe years ago where if the action comes to the feet, uh, from top bottom mm-hmm. comes to the feet and there's no legitimate attempt to return the defensive man to the mat, the official is obligated to to call stalling. But you, but you do not stop the match, even though you still have a top-bottom situation. To me, it's the same. It's the same situation. If we're on the mat, if you're about to get out, I'm locked down on your shoe, and I'm just holding on, mm-hmm. holding on, holding on. To me, it's it's the same rationale. That's why I brought that point up because I think again, if we're on our feet, I'm not getting the benefit of the official stopping the match um, because i'm I'm basically getting bailed out, whereas if it's on the mat, the same situation, I'm just holding on. I'm not making a legitimate effort to to build myself back up into a, a controlled situation then we as we as officials are obligated to stop the match and that's that's my rationale on that one and mm-hmm. I think that what you said about the the boundary the boundary situations and we've had issues with this all the way up to the state tournament last year. you remember that about okay knees toes, what's in, what's out I am I am with you one million percent about implementing the college rule. If we have a toenail inside that cylinder, where facilities permit, we are wrestling. There's no okay, we have this knee in that knee in toes in, whatever it's just we're if, if any part of either wrestler is in, we're wrestling. And if and just say if if facilities permit obviously if we're in a tight gym and we're up against the bleachers, obviously we're going to stop the match, but I I think if, if the facility permits wrestling to continue, you ought to let it continue. So I'm glad you brought that point up. I I couldn't agree more with that. one. Well, I, I
2: I still remember us having that discussion and I know we've talked about it a couple of times. I know that I had it happen at at the very same situation happened at Flagler. And this was a case where, believe it or not, I blew the call and in talking to Eric, uh Olsen, you know, he says, Hey, I think you'd got this wrong. And we sat there and talked about it. And then, you know, I misapplied the rule at the time. Uh, not to say that it influenced the match, it didn't, but afterwards when we sat and talked about it, I was like, okay, yeah, his knee was on the mat. And I, you know, and maybe at the time that just didn't trigger my memory because the off the defensive presser had the ability to score at that point. And I know that we have talked about it prior to that and um, even afterwards. But, you know, that's, that's one that I, I really wish they would they would give you the option to do. I'm with you there 100%. Let
1: me shift gears a little bit here. You know, you and I are – of course, I haven't been doing as long as you have, but you and I are on the back nine of our wrestling careers. Um, so I'm this kidding. is an issue – yeah, this this is an issue nationwide – amongst all sports, and being able to bring in new, new officials to replace the number that's getting out of their respective sports. And wrestling, as you said, um, it, involves, it involves experience to, to become a, a good official. No matter if you were a state champion or just a couple-year wrestler, you understand what control is. You understand what stalling is. What are some ideas that you have? and let me back up. I, I want this show because I am coming from an official's perspective. And for all those listeners out there um, that are athletes that want to stay associated with the, um, with the sport past college or whatever, um, you know, officiating is, is, a, is a option to do that. So Glenn, what what are some of your ideas to try to um, encourage enthusiasm uh, for newer people getting into our sport as officials
2: well again i mean i think people that have interest in the sport as far as they wrestled or coached and things like that they still would like to give back to the sport or be involved with the sport it's a great way to do it um this year we have our largest group of new officials that we've we've had ever and um the irony is a lot of them are not young. I mean, we have a gentleman. He just joined up. He's 65, okay? So he's late to the game, but here you go. And we have people that come and go. Life happens, you know. They have babies and stuff like that, and, you know, you know the whole drill. But uh, if you can get them in early, if you can get some of these guys uh, that want to get officiate, get them in early, don't cook them, you know. In other words, don't take, you don't take an eighteen-year-old official that's never experienced that, and throw him into, you know, a dog match between two big rivals, and then you know have the coaches go out there and go ballistic on them. Next thing you know, he's like, I, "I'm not doing this, you know. I'm done with this, you know. I, you know, I, I life's too short," and so. There is a methodology. You got to bring them along as slow as you can, but you don't want to bring them along that they're so slow that they're bored and don't want to do it. But yeah, you got to get, get out there and talk to the guys and hopefully they'll join. Uh, Recently uh, in our area and we couldn't do it for years and years when I was coaching, we've got all this AAU stuff all of a sudden. I mean, and back then it was wrestling USA and that was it. Uh, Mm Um, But now they've got a lot more of this AAU going. You got these little clubs, teams. I listened to your uh, show with uh, Mike Crowder here not too long ago, and uh, they were, t- you know, they were talking about, you know, the, these kids go in there and they wrestle all these matches in a very short amount of time, and they get in, they get out, you know, they get a lot of competition. Well, the officials get in, they get a lot on that time, and. I mean, and that's where you want to start them at. You can't, you know, you you know, you can't take a first-year official and put him in a state championship situation. He's going to get killed, okay? Because he's going to be thinking about everything. And as an official, most people don't realize this: is when you a lot of times when you're so concerned about doing the right thing and making the right call, you're thinking about all these scenarios. And when you get all that stuff going around in your brain slows you down and something happens. You think you missed a call. You start thinking about that call. What rule applied? Next thing you know, you're thinking about, oh, oh, did I miss a call? And now you're, you're three calls behind, four calls behind, because you're all the way back on call one that you think you had a problem with. And you can, you know, and now you got paralysis by analysis, so to speak. And, yeah, you know, it, it hurts, you know, but, That's the reason, if you can get the young guys in, get them at that level. Because I'm going to tell you something, when you get the little kids wrestling, like when we had the middle school wrestling, anything and everything you see in that rule book, you're going to see it at some point in time, just about. Because, you know, those guys are all over the place. Because they don't know what they're doing, for the most part. And they are all over the place. So you're going to see illegal holds, potentially dangerous holds. You're going to see all kinds of wacky situations that you're not going to see in a state final because they don't make those mistakes. You know, actually the higher, the level of the wrestling, the easier it is to call. I mean, really and truly, you know, the only thing is different. The pressure is a whole lot greater, you know, can you make that call with time running out at the edge of the mat, you know, that's the difference.
1: Yeah. Glenn and I, you know, And for those, those athletes out there that are listening to this, um, that want to get involved, especially if you're in that North Florida area, um, you you can't, you can't start, uh, under a better mentor or a better association than, than, um, Northwest Florida with Glenn. And, and again, I go back to something that you said when I first started, your policy was, you know, you basically did middle school or JV for two or three years before you even stepped on a varsity match. And as a, as a young guy getting in, you're thinking, well, you know, why so long? Of course you have the foresight and the wisdom to know that, you know, if you're not ready, the worst thing that that you can do is get on that mat in a barn burner match, two big rivalries, uh, two studs beating the snot out of each other. And then, you know, you're just so discouraged and you get out of that. So, um, I, you know, at the time I didn't really understand it, but in time I did. And I, and I certainly appreciate that insight and, and the mentorship, but I got one last question for you. Cause I don't want to take up too much of your time and we'll wrap it up. <clears throat> um, you know, you've been doing this a long time and uh, you've had a lot of, um, a lot of good people come, uh, into your association and under you, but I want you to think long and hard about this question. Okay. So mm-hmm. of all of the officials that you've mentored over the years, which would you think has made the most progress and has ascended to the, the highest heights that you, that you have mentored over the years? I'm just curious what your response is on that
0: one. He's searching for an answer.
2: Yeah, I know he's searching for that answer. He he did the same thing with uh, Mike Crowder. So probably going to have to hit Mike for an unsportsmanlike somewhere in there. And, you know, of course, I would say John Cohn, but I'm probably going to have to go Scotty Schindler. I would have to go there probably. I like Scott. Oh, uh, no, I, I tell you, John, you've, you've come a long, long way, man. I, I tell you, when the first match I saw you, and, 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 you know, like I say, I had a book of things we needed to work on for you. But uh, you've come a long way, and you you really shined out last year. I mean, that match you called there at the 220 there with the Clay kid and the Reigns kid, uh, you kept your composure, very tight match, a lot of fan involvement there, very unusual rule situation there, and you, you did one hell of a job. So I'm very proud of you, and you're like, yeah, you know, it's like your son. I'm very proud of him. I mean, I remember when he won the state championship. That was uh, ironically, as one of the year, I, I wasn't actually on the mat and actually was working at the table and got to see part of that. So that was very exciting, you know, to see that kind of thing.
0: And one thing I'm glad I, I was glad my dad mentioned this segment, um, starting the segment, because I did get a big, you know, I got a different view of officials and coaches than a lot of other kids did, um, you know, got. You know, a lot of, same thing with parents too. I think a lot of, a lot of people that are, you know, parents or coaches or, you know, wrestlers, they see the officials out all the time. You know, you see them out and you see them out and we judge them, you know, pretty harshly at times, depending on, you know, what the severity of the match is. It is, I do, I found myself at a, you know, just random tournament kind of getting heated at a ref and then come to find out that's his first ever tournament he's ever officiated. I'm like, okay, I need to check my ego on this. But I think a lot of people don't realize like how much you guys really do care about it. You guys don't do it to make millions of dollars. You okay. know, you guys put in a lot of time, you continue to hone your craft. The guys that stay with it like you and my dad, Scotty, Rev Charlie over in Choctaw. I mean, you guys do it because you love it and you're not trying to screw anybody out of anything, you know. So, mm-hmm. I know I'm pretty appreciative, you know, just the experience that I got with y'all and you know how much much how much you love the kids cuz I hear the conversations all the time. These kids don't hear it. You know, these coaches Mm -hmm. don't hear it, but I hear the officials all the time talking about, man, have you seen this guy? How he's gotten so much better. Have you seen this girl? How she's doing so much better, man. I'm just like you're saying, I hear the refs say, I'm proud of this kid. I'm proud of that kid all the time. The kids and the coaches just don't get the experience of hearing it. Like I've had the chance to overhear it. So I appreciate, you know, you and all the other officials that have been, you know, out there in my life and spent time and, and away from their family and lives that they could be doing to make sure that I could have a wrestling match.
2: Well, I, I, I can I can show you this. I've never seen an official that intentionally went after or, or tried to put it to somebody, so to speak, you know, anything like that. I've seen, you know, do we have bad officials sometimes? Sure, we got, you know, well, we got bad politicians and salesmen and teachers and this and that. But there's a lot more good than there is bad. And I can assure you that most of the time, those guys are trying to get better. And, you know the best thing that we can do as is wrestling associations is coach those guys up and try to get them better because, I mean, they're saying, you know, this guy should never officiate another match. Well, you might as well get rid of all the officials because every time I've ever heard that (laughs) we wouldn't have any officials left. You might as well give the whistle to the coach and say, here, you go call it because that's, that's what you run into. I mean, uh, you know, I I remember when I used to call, and we'd have these two crosstown rivals here in Panama City, and the one, you know, and you hear in the background, you know, the noise, and they say, "Oh, you know, well Faust, you know, he's he's there, he's their official," and the other fans on the other side are saying, "Oh, he's their official." So apparently, I was neither one's official. You know, you're only going to be you you're you're only going to be popular with one fifty percent of the people in the gym at any one time, and that can change rapidly.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. We've both been parts of that. And Glenn, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and let you go. But I wanna I wanna close up on this note, and I wanna kind of um, piggyback on what Jordan said. You know, you you know you've been involved with with two generations of our family, um, both as an official and a mentor. And and uh, I, for one, I'm sure I can speak for Jordan. You know, very appreciative and um, thankful that you know, one, I had the the good fortune of Of coming up under you, and and uh, I've sat mat side for many many matches that you refereed of Jordan, and I was always always happy to see you on the mat refereeing his matches because I knew you were going to be fair, you're going to be consistent, um, you're going to call it by the book. And I told Jordan many times, I said, man, you know you you have to, you know, when 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 Glenn's out there, you have to wrestle the way you're supposed to wrestle. You're going to get called. So. On that note man, we really appreciate you being on for this first segment of the officials call and um, I look forward to seeing you here real soon at a, at a tournament I think a couple weeks
2: yeah I'm looking I'm looking forward to the new year so should
1: be a good one Glenn have a good uh, rest of your day man and uh we'll see you down the road.
0: Thank you for joining us here again on the North Florida Wrestling Show. We appreciate your continued love and support. Tune in next time as we continue to highlight the great people in North Florida wrestling and get ready for an amazing season. Stay safe and wrestle on.